Hello and welcome to Signify Lighting Talks. I'm Jonathan Gruber. Ventilate for comfort. Irradiate for infection control. Today's guest lecturer, Richard Vincent, likes to use that quote from another famous doctor to explain what he does. And this is what he does. Dr. Vincent is a lighting and ultraviolet energy specialist at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. And in this lecture, he explains how the application of upper room ultraviolet energy can disinfect and control airborne diseases in a room and prevent the transmission of some of the most serious diseases known to man. Diseases you may have heard of, like, oh, for example, tuberculosis. Or how about COVID-19? Stick around for the end of the show, where Dr. Richard will answer many of the burning questions not covered in the lecture. And so, with no further ado, Dr. Richard Vincent with a timely lecture called Upper Room Germicidal UV to Control Airborne Diseases. Here's Dr. Vincent. Greetings to you from wherever you are in the world, whether it's morning, uh, evening, or afternoon. We are going to be covering uh, some basics about uh, UV inactivation of various uh, pathogenic um, organisms. We're going to be looking also at how effective uh, upper room UVC air disinfection is, uh, the types of upper room equipment that are available, and understanding how to apply these safely uh, for occupants of various um, applications. And we also want to uh, cover how to incorporate uh, GUV upper room uh, air disinfection into existing buildings, as well as planning for new building design. Uh, Dr. Brickner that I worked with um, at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York uh, in the 50s uh, used upper room UV to uh, uh, protect the staff in hospitals from uh, tuberculosis. We had active TB in New York at that time when he was a resident. And then uh, 40 years later, he was uh, in a homeless shelter in New York City where there were a thousand men in a shelter with active TB. And he said, why don't we hang those UV lights again? And so that began my journey with Dr. Brickner to uh, begin to reapply upper room UVGI for the uh, control and of the transmission of airborne diseases such as tuberculosis. Dr. Richard Riley was a pioneer medical uh, doctor from the Harvard School of Public Health and as well as uh, John Hopkins uh, University. And he did a lot of the exploratory research on uh, room uh, UV application. And he had a very famous saying, says, ventilate for comfort, irradiate for infection control. And so that's kind of a theme to think about, ventilation for comfort, where you uh, have a certain amount of air exchanges in a space to eliminate uh, CO2, um, odors, and other things of that nature, but then use UV to uh, irradiate for infection control. So that's a good model for what we're going to talk about today, where there is a sneeze and all this uh, particulate matter that is coming out um, and most of this will fall to the floor uh, very quickly because of the weight of it. But then out at the very fringes is where a lot of these uh, pathogens uh, can float on air currents for a long period of time. 
And so it's really this kind of uh, fine matter that we're looking at for upper room UV inactivation. And that's what we'll be primarily looking at today. A number of airborne pathogens that are of concern and that can be controlled by using UVGI or GUV, uh, tuberculosis, all forms of influenza, SARS-1, 2, and whatever the next generations are going to be, measles, which is highly infectious and airborne, adenovirus, and the list goes on. Uh, Bioterror aerosols, smallpox, anthrax, uh, all these various types of uh, things that have been weaponized can also be dealt with by uh, upper room UVGI. So why upper room UV today? Well, it works well with natural and mechanical ventilation, so therefore it can apply anywhere in the world. It can be used with mechanical ventilation diffusers for mixing or fans for air mixing. And it is uh, between 73 to 80% effective in reducing the transmission of airborne pathogens. Uh, a couple studies that we'll talk about, ESCOM and Mafaleli. Um, it works against a wide range of airborne pathogens, including SARS-CoV-2, as uh, was mentioned, uh, Signified did a study of inactivation of SARS-CoV-2 in Boston, and we've also done that at Mount Sinai. It's very easy to kill uh, with germicidal 254 nanometers uh, wavelength. Maintenance of systems is relatively simple and human safety can be achieved with proper design, installation, commissioning, operation, and maintenance. And it can be used in schools. There's no reason for schools to be closed. They can apply this technology right now get the kids back in the classroom, get the teachers in there. Everybody can be safe and still have that uh, online in-person or that in-person learning that is so vital right now. I think that's one of the tragedies of the pandemic is our children are now being um, forced to be online rather than in person and it's having wide implications. Let's hang the UV in schools. Uh, there was a study back in the 1940s by Wells where they put uh, UV in a uh, schools in just outside of Philadelphia. Those that had upper room UV had very little um, exposure to a outbreak of measles in a day school versus those in the upper classes where there was no UV, uh, greater number of cases. Um, measles is highly infectious and it's another reason for applying upper room uh, UV because uh, we never know when uh, measles will um, have an outbreak in various places. So it's a good uh, strategy for controlling measles. Um, one of the things that we have to really con uh, think about when we're designing and uh, trying to uh, think through the process of how to apply UV in buildings, um, for airborne infection control, there are like three hierarchies of strategy. First, there is the administrative controls where you have all these people crowded together. Well, what we're doing today is socially distancing, and that's the name for um, administrative controls. Then the next uh, layer of controls is environmental controls, and that's achieved primarily through air, airborne um, ventilation. And if you're looking at uh, natural ventilation in many countries, uh, that's the primary way, way of airborne control. And then when you have uh, limited uh, air changes per hour in a space, 
then you can supplement it with upper room UVGI. And so we've been teaching these principles in various countries around the world, but now as UV is becoming mainstreamed, uh, it is primarily uh, coming uh, into the forefront today and more people are wanting to understand how to apply it in um, mechanically ventilated spaces as well. Uh, so what is the plan to disrupt airborne diseases in buildings? First, we have to really look where the source is being generated it's, uh, from people to people. Uh, it doesn't do any good if you're looking to put UV in the, in the air duct after people have already been exposed in the room. So that's why we have uh, the recommendation in ASHRAE to put in upper room uh, UVGI fixtures in a place where the source is being generated. Uh, it doesn't do any good, as I said, if it gets into the air circuits. Uh, it may be uh, effective in some respects, but it will not really help any of the people here in this room. So it's source control at the, at the site of generation. And that's where we're talking about what's called um, uh, infectious dose. And then the other opportunity, as I mentioned, there are some airborne pathogens that are hardy like tuberculosis, and they can be recirculated through the air ducts. With the virus today that we're talking about, COVID-19, uh, it's very fragile and it's not as likely that it would be uh, coming through the ventilation circuits. At least there are no uh, studies that have proven that at this particular point. So upper room UVGI makes uh, sense for the pandemic at this particular point. But as Dr. Riley often said, a whole building approach with um, UV is a, a good idea as well. And uh, currently the um, mercury vapor lamp is the workhorse of this application. So when you are considering how to approach a building, you need to think about what is the building type, who is the client, owner, construction, um, occupants, uh, number of occupants, uh, type of facility, looking at ventilation, how long people stay in spaces, what surfaces are being um, accessed, and how is it ventilated, natural, mechanical, or mixed mode. And what are the room dimensions? Uh, geometry makes a difference. Uh, there are certain limitations as to how you can apply upper room UV. You need to have at least uh, 2.3 uh, meters of floor to ceiling height to apply the louvered fixtures and anything above that, you can have a more open type of fixture as you get at greater ceiling heights. And what types of support services are available to maintain these building systems? In some parts of the world, we ask, is electricity available? So those are all some of the uh, questions you want to think about as you're developing your commissioning documents for uh, applying UV within a building design. UV is um, broken up biologically in three different bandwidths. UVA, which is a low biological risk, it's found in uh, sunlight. UVB, which is more uh, having delayed effects, which is more uh, prone to skin cancers. And then UVC, which is low penetrating. You can have some acute effects like um, eye irritation or skin irritation, but nothing chronic as far as uh, skin cancer is concerned. We'll cover that a little bit later. The primary mission of low mercury um, 
Low pressure mercury discharge lamps is 254 nanometers. Um, electromagnetic spectrum is uh, divided up in UVA, which is uh, 315 to 400. Uh, UVB 280 to 315 and UVC 100 to 280. Although primarily for upper room applications, we're looking mainly at the 220 up to 280 uh, range. And how does it work? Um, UV works against uh, the DNA or the RNA of uh, microbes. Uh, it's the DNA of all the, the bacteria, fungi, etc., and it's RNA for the viruses. And we find that from this uh, action spectrum at 265 is the peak for um, disruption of, um, of an organism. It may vary uh, with different organisms, but this is a, a standard action spectrum for uh, E. coli. Dr. Riley did some room experiments in his office in uh, at Johns Hopkins uh, University, where on the weekends he would get into a biohazard suit, uh, seal off his office and aerosolize bugs in there. And so he was quite a pioneer. You probably would not be able to do some of these studies today because of uh, all the protocols in place. But anyway, he looked at um, an aerosolization of BCG and you can see that there was a natural decay over a long period of time. And then he applied a 17 watt UVC uh, fixture and then it was a dramatic uh, fall off. So this is where we got the um, 12 air changes per hour from his study. And for many years that was doubled saying a 30 watt uh, UV uh, lamp would produce uh, about uh, 24 uh, air changes per hour and that was one of the dosing methods that was used for a number of years. Um, looking at uh, Riley's experiments, he said for a lethal dose of 90%, you are going to find that TB and BCG could be killed within 12 seconds at 50 microwatts per centimeter squared, or in 60 seconds, um, or at 10 microwatts per centimeter squared. So you were looking at about a 600 microwatt seconds per centimeter squared. And that's very similar to what uh, this paper on coronavirus showed as well. So actually when you uh, design for uh, TB, you should be able to cover all the viral um, pathogens uh, below that. And that's being used as kind of our target within the ASHRAE committee is to look at something more resistant than a coronavirus or influenza uh, virus in planning the system so you can cover uh, the future. You may not have it now, but eventually at some point, uh, the building where you're applying this uh, may have other more resistant pathogens. So uh, keep that in mind when you're thinking about applying UV. Uh, there was a study at the Livermore Veterans uh, Hospital in the 50s and it showed that there was an outbreak of uh, influenza uh, in these veterans hospitals. And this building uh, that was a part of this hospital complex was irradiated with UV and it was highly protected versus the other uh, buildings uh, that did not have that. So we, we know from these um, studies that it, it can be very effective against these various uh, types of pathogens. The basic principle of upper room uh, UV is you have sources coming 
for example, a patient bed uh, where somebody might have uh, tuberculosis or uh, coronavirus and uh, be coughing out um, pathogens that could be floating in the air for a period of time. And as they move up into the dis disinfection zone, they receive a dose of UV. So it's the intensity times the amount of time going through the, intense, uh, the disinfection zone that gives you the dose. And so if you don't kill the organism or inactivate it is the correct term uh, for the per first pass, it can go through several times and accumulate a dose uh, to eventually overcome that pathogen. So these are some of the questions we're looking at today is how much UV needs to be put out uh, how long does the pathogen need to dwell within the disinfection zone? And how can we work all that together within our buildings? And some of the other principles of UV is the path uh, of UV coming out of the fixture. Uh, you want to try to have the longest path length as possible because the UV photons in the beam of the fixture will be still effective even as they spread out uh, through the space until they're absorbed uh, by whatever uh, surface it hits, whether it's a microbe or um, a wall or a ceiling, uh, depending upon the characteristics of the things that it hits. And then uh, vertical uh, air mixing is one of the key principles we also talk about. These are the two studies that were a part of the WHO a guideline for uh, updating uh, TB infection control in healthcare facilities. And it was based on this uh, human to animal model uh, where transmission of tuberculosis through the air was um, siphoned off to two different chambers of guinea pigs who are very susceptible to uh, tuberculosis infection. And on one day they would re receive irradiated air uh, by UV. Uh, on the other day, they would receive non-irradiated air that was siphoned off the ward with human patients in it. And over a period of time, it showed that the UV was 80% effective in um, reducing the risk of transmission of TB. The study by Mafalele was for uh, a mechanically ventilated space. The study by ESCOM was for a naturally uh, ventilated space and uh, with high humidity. So we know UV is a very robust um, intervention for airborne transmission control. And so it can work in a variety of environments, hot, cold, uh, humid, not humid. Uh, and so there's um, evidence that it is a very robust way of approaching uh, room disinfection where sources of a potential pathogen generation are uh, happening. Uh, UVC sources, uh, there are a variety in shapes of uh, low pressure mercury uh, lamps. Uh, they can come in straight tubes, bent tubes, uh, kind of compact tubes. Um, we're also looking at uh, some new uh, types of technology that are coming out, the krypton chloride uh, 222 nanometer which is uh, low penetrating as far as uh, skin or eye irritation, uh, but it is still uh, being uh, researched in evidences uh, looking at how effective it is in application. Uh, germicidal LEDs are now uh, coming out in 
anywhere from 250 all the way up to 275 nanometer. And I, I think we will see more of this as time goes on. Uh, and it's very vital when you're uh, using or applying UV is to have uh, valid instruments that can measure UV. Just because you have kind of a blue light shining out of a fixture does not mean that you have effective UV. It means that you could um, actually just have a, a bug lamp or it could be some other type of uh, blue light, but you can only tell when you have the proper radiometer and the detector that is uh, selected for the wavelength that you're testing. And the other thing that is coming out in our ASHRAE committee is the safety application using a field of view hood to uh, uh, simulate what the eye sees because of the structure of the, um, the head and the skull. Uh, we have been doing some uh, testing of UV uh, fixtures for their efficiency. Many have the same electrical input, but the emitted UV can be um, very uh, different based upon the optics. So there is a lot of good room for uh, innovation in this area. Uh, there is uh, now uh, testing that can be done at independent uh, testing laboratories, uh, such as uh, Intertech and others that can uh, give you the full radiometric output of these, and that can be used within a, um, a computer-aided um, design tool. UV also uh, has a wide range of reflectance of various materials, a whole range depending upon what kind of material you have. Uh, there was a study done by Wen Gratis um, that looked at ceiling tiles and reflectances. And so uh, being able to characterize how much UV might be potentially reflected off of these types of materials is an important consideration when you're designing a facility. Um, also, UV can de degrade materials. It can degrade um, paint. And um, also, if you have uh, artwork or other things like that, you wouldn't want it exposed to this wavelength. So you want to be uh, understand about its uh, potential to degrade materials. Um, also, certain types of plants do not um, appreciate this wavelength, um, primarily because it's not... Uh, uh, in the uh, atmosphere, it's screened out by the atmosphere. It's generated by the sun, but it is not uh, coming to the earth. Um, and so plants aren't used to uh, this form of UV. So you have to protect your plants. Um, we did a study, the tuberculosis ultraviolet shelter study, where we applied uh, upper room UV fixtures in uh, a number of homeless shelters in the US in six different cities. And we also did a review uh, for the CIE on uh, UV safety. Uh, does UVC uh, cause uh, photocarcinogenesis? What are the risks of that? And we did a review within the CIE. This was one of the most popular uh, things that was referenced from the CIE during the pandemic. Uh, many uh, people looked at that. But it really basically concluded uh, that germicidal UV can be safely and effectively used for upper room air disinfection without a risk for long-term delayed effects such as skin cancer. And so that was um, by an eminent um, uh, skin cancer specialist, uh, Dr. Erbach and uh, other uh, skin experts. Hearing a lot about from as people began to apply upper room UV, they say, well, 
you know, it's hard to get the safety levels in, uh, and achieve those in certain spaces. And so there's been consideration that a lot of times uh, the instruction about taking safety measurements from UV did not include the advice from the American Governmental uh, Hygiene uh, Association, where they recommended using a hood uh, to simulate the protective uh, measure of the eye. This slide is from uh, Dr. Sliney, and he has uh, uh, been guiding the IES Photobiology Committee and helping us with uh, understanding these things. So now with these hoods uh, on the detectors, we're recommending different ways of looking at um, luminaires, UV luminaires for eye safety, as well as skin safety and see what kinds of measurements that you are going to have and where these uh, measurements should be taken. And this is part of the uh, discussion we're having with uh, Underwriters Laboratory right now where some of their equipment doesn't really take into effect uh, the um, threshold limit values in how long people actually occupy spaces. So the commissioning process really starts with a blank sheet of paper and your, your customer. You have to see what are the uh, needs within a building, why people want to apply UV, uh, what kind of risk assessment have they done, um, do they have the budget to be able to do it and can they sustain it? Uh, because really, um, just like any technology, if you're not able to sustain it, uh, it can be a real uh, problem. Uh, and so I think that this is one of the things that we have to think about uh, all these uh, strategies in our commissioning process when we're working with clients in these areas. So ASHRAE has the main lead right now as far as buildings is concerned for the application of uh, UV, uh, both uh, induct surfaces and upper room UVGI. Uh, our committee that I'm chairing is uh, looking at uh, what are the basic principles that need to be understood by engineers and uh, practitioners and putting into uh, best practice uh, for UV and understanding about design and the installation, maintenance and operation. And we're looking at um, using the study from Mafalele and ESCOM for our, our studies, uh, our dosing guidelines right now based on uh, tuberculosis. Uh, there is the possibility if you wanted to design just for COVID, that would be a possibility as well, uh, maybe at a lower dose, but uh, my recommendation uh, is to really uh, think very clearly that um, uh, COVID is not the only uh, infectious disease that we're going to be uh, exposed to in our lifetimes. And so there's, we already know there are variations of SARS-CoV-2 in England and South Africa. So there's gonna be theme and variation while people are uh, getting vaccinated and then there will be other outbreaks. So we need to consider uh, UV upper room as a mainstream technology for protect protecting uh, people in public buildings. So there's a volumetric dosing. If you wanna do a back of the envelope uh, type of approach, take the volume of a room and multiply it by this dose from the uh, South African studies. And that'll help you to determine how many uh, UV fixtures you need to start your design. And 
there's also an approach for an area dosing uh, model as well. And then you refine your placement of all those fixtures based on the calculation of um, average fluence uh, throughout that space. And this criteria is probably going to be a little bit lower because uh, they found in the original Mofalele study uh, that they were using um, a dose and got the 80% uh, risk reduction. They did a similar study unpublished at this point at a third of the dose and still found an effective uh, risk reduction. So this needs to be um, modified right now and we're in the process of doing that. And then after you do your design, you have to do your due diligence, which means you have to test for um, output. You want to find out what is the um, baseline output of a fixture and then uh, test that over time uh, to determine your maintenance schedule because um, UV lamps will uh, decline over time, uh, not rapidly if they're uh, a quality uh, lamp and there are ways of extending the, the strategies on that. But you have to know what you have at your installation and then measure that over an interval of time to determine uh, what is the uh, relamping schedule of these uh, fixtures. And then uh, the safety measurements. Before uh, spaces are occupied, they need to be um, tested for safety eye level and not just standing, but uh, if you have a uh, hospital ward, somebody laying in bed, you wanna be able to measure at that eye level. If you're in an office, you wanna look where uh, people are placed within those spaces to make sure that there are no reflections uh, from the UV and then to learn about applying this hood so you can get an accurate reading as far as eye and skin irritation. And so the message here is you install it, you commission it, make sure that it's working safely and it's occupied. Talk about a timely topic. So. Can you keep a germicidal UV light on all day? And what does it do to the paint? Well, these are just a few of the questions put to Dr. Vincent since the lecture. So we put them to him, and these are his answers. Question. How much percent infection is transmitted by air droplets or by surface contact? Answer. It depends on the pathogen of interest. Some pathogens, for example, SARS-CoV-2, work in mixed mode, both through the air, direct droplet spread, and potentially by touching an infected surface. Other pathogens, for example, tuberculosis, are strictly airborne. Question. I have a school district I'm meeting with today after this. Could you touch on the type of applications and any recommendations? Can these units run while students are in the classroom? Answer, upper room UVGI would be a great solution for many places in schools. You can focus on classrooms, gymnasiums, cafeterias, hallways, and wherever people may be congregated together. It also would depend upon the geometry. You need a minimum of eight feet or 2.3 meters uh, floor to ceiling in order to install 
um, these types of fixtures. Anything greater than that would also be great for applying this technology. Further, this can be run safely while students are in the classroom with their teachers. And this would be the primary time to have them running because if one of the classroom participants were symptomatic, then it would be able to control the spread to others within the classroom. Question. Is there a study that shows how much airborne particles can be generated by an individual, a small group, or a large group of people in an enclosed area? If there is a little amount of aerosol that ends up in the ceiling area, wouldn't that minimize the effectiveness of upper room UV systems, which is probably not cheap? The study report cited is quite old, the Riley 1976. So I wonder if there are more up-to-date academic or government studies? Well, this is a good question. And the answer is there are studies that are artificially trying to simulate these types of aerosols. Aerosols that reside at the ceiling level would not infect people. However, we recommend air mixing to ensure an efficient lifting of the lower room air to the disinfection zone and returning the disinfected air to dilute the concentration in the occupied breathing zone. Question, could you define each term, for example, GUV, UVGI, etc.? Answer, both germicidal UV and UVGI, which is ultraviolet germicidal irradiation, are equivalent. Both are the process of providing UV photons to the microbes in the air or depending upon the application toward surfaces. Question, which frequency is safe for human exposure? For example, I've read that 222 nanometers is safe for human exposure. Is that correct? All wavelengths in the UVC band, primarily from 230 to 280 nanometers, can be used safely for, by knowledgeable designers and installers when applied according to the threshold limit value for eye and skin exposure and based on time-weighted averages for occupancy and site measurement after installation. Question, can I get these lights in my home? Answer, this type of commercial product that we've been talking about should be used by professionals in commercial settings. It's not really based for home use. UVC lamps are most often used in air conditioning ducts for homes to control mold growth in moist or humid climates. Question, what about material degradation over time in the space? Answer, it is true some materials will have some degradation over time, for example, paint. If there is valuable artwork, it should be placed where there would be no direct or reflected UV or covered by a protective glass, uh, such as seen in museums. Certain types of plants, like hanging plants, uh, do not like this wavelength of UV, and so it would be better to place them on a desk or on the floor where they would not have any exposure. Question. After using a UVC trolley, the room smells burnt. Is it safe for us to enter the room one minute after using and then breathing in the burnt smell? The answer it depends on what types of materials are being exposed in the room. Most of the time, this burnt smell uh, has no 
harmful effect. Question, can this light help against the coronavirus? Answer, yes, the coronavirus is easily inactivated by exposure to UVC 254 nanometer. A couple of studies have already shown that it is able to inactivate this virus in less than two minutes at a very low dose of UV. Question, due to burning of UVC lamps, the efficiency of disinfection decreases. How to calculate the dosage timing due to lamp radiation depreciation? Most quality UVC mercury lamps will maintain their output over a year's time. By taking baseline measurements of output after installation and with proper maintenance and monitoring of the output with a radiometer, UVC output can be tested, and when it falls below a set criteria, the lamp would be changed. In our studies, we have allowed for a 30% decline in lamp output from the baseline before changing the lamp. It will also depend upon how long the um, lamps are burned. Sometimes they are only used when like a clinic is open and when the clinic is closed, the UV lights are uh, turned off and turned back on in the following day. Question, should you have upper room UV systems powered on 24-7? Answer, it would depend on the occupancy. For office buildings, for example, the UV system could be powered off when unoccupied with a timer to turn on before workers arrive. This is standard procedure for many lighting systems and buildings, and there's no reason why UV systems could not be put onto a similar type of schedule for when buildings are occupied. What about UVC lamps? Are they really harmless to human eyes and skin? Answer, when properly used, and tested before spaces are occupied, there is low risk from UVC lamps. Safety for eyes and skin can be tested based on the threshold limit value and based upon the weighted average of exposure for occupants. This would have to be measured and planned for, and then they can be safely installed, performance checked, and then turned over for occupancy. The dosing criteria, 12 milliwatts per cubic meter and 38 milliwatts per meter squared, is that accepted by ASHRAE? Also, what about timing factor? ASHRAE is drafting guidance using these dosing criteria as a beginning point of design to be followed by placement with a lighting CAD program adapted for calculating fluence rate based on using Ganeo radiometric files of GUV fixtures. Question, are UV LEDs equally good as mercury lamps or can they be in the right setting? Answer, it would depend upon the use. For a large volume of air, the efficiency of the UV LEDs is not quite there at this point. And so really the Mercury vapor lamp is the workhorse of determining disinfection for large volumes of air. UV LEDs can have a potential there, and it is rapidly changing as more and more LEDs come into the marketplace and 
must be looked at very closely as a means to be layered in with other UV strategies. Dr. Richard Vincent, the lighting and ultraviolet energy specialist at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. The Signified Lighting Academy has a vast video library of great lectures from the world of lighting, just like this one. You can sign up for free, view them all, and find out about upcoming lectures at signify.com slash global slash lighting hyphen academy. That's signify.com slash global slash lighting hyphen academy. Signify Lighting Talks is a podcast series of lectures from the greatest thinkers and speakers from the world of lighting and is edited by Jaap Schuring. I'm Jonathan Gruber, and on behalf of Signify, we wish you a brighter life in a better world. <laughs>